1: Dipsy stories dot com, slash, just
0: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra Demolder,
1: And I'm Sam Blackwell.
0: And this week on Head & Heart Work Conversations, we are talking to Trina Olson and Alfonso Wenker, who are the authors of the book Hiring Revolution and the co-founders of Team Dynamics, a national strategy firm based in Minneapolis that supports organizations in getting closer to their diversity, equity, and inclusion goals.
1: Trina and Alfonso, welcome and uh, thank you for being here. This is really exciting for me personally because um, Trina and Alfonso are both great friends of mine. Um, They also happen to be my bosses because I (laughs) work at Team Dynamics Um, and I uh, love you both and I just love the work that we do so much and so much of what I talk about on the podcast is so informed by the work that we do at Team Dynamics and talking about patterns and conflict and communication and how we can sort of get to know ourselves more deeply so that we can get to know others more deeply and find ways to bridge, um, across differences. Like it has made me a better podcaster <laughs> by working with you <laughs> oh <my> all <laughs> and doing the work that we do. So thank you for that. And thank you for agreeing to be here. Cause I'm super excited. Not only that, um, we get to talk, but also that you get to talk about your amazing new book that is recently um, on shelves. So, thank you for being here. I'm so excited for for you all.
2: Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah. thanks
1: for welcoming us in. Absolutely. So, um, for folks who don't know you, can you just tell us a little bit about yourselves and um, and what you do, the work that you do together?
2: Absolutely, so I can go first. Um, My name is Trina Olson, I use she and her pronouns. I am currently the CEO and Alfonso's co-founder at Team Dynamics, so I came up in the workforce through community and political organizing, so think issue-based ballot measure and legislative campaigns like healthcare, hunger, living wage, comprehensive immigration reform. Um, I came out as gay when I was 19, I self-identify as queer now. Uh, it was my 41st birthday last week. I'm white <laughs> and currently single and dating.
3: Love it. Awesome. Alfonso, what about you? Uh, Alfonso Winker, he and him pronouns, president and Trina's co-founder at Team Dynamics. couple of identities that are important to me that really inform how I show up in space, how I tell stories, how I make sense of people. I'm third-generation Mexican-American, raised by a brown mom and a white dad. I don't speak Spanish fluently. I am a queer man, and I was raised Catholic, and I'm still some kind of Christian, (laughs) which I recently found out is a surprise to friends I have. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to talk about that a little bit more. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
3: Mm -hmm. I'm currently in a wonderful relationship with another multiracial man, and um, I've been thinking a lot about... How people see us when they make assumptions about who we are based on lightness or darkness of skin. So like mm-hmm. Sam, you talk about the work that we do at our work work, if I can say that. <laughs> um <Yeah. laughs> and, and parts of what we talk about around perception are starting to land on me in a different way when I'm I'm really aware of how people look at me and my boyfriend, but then also like more than our queerness, what stories are you telling yourself about like if we belong where we are? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the work specifically that you do now um, at Team Dynamics and the origin of this company that you two co-founded?
3: Yeah. So professionally for me, I've had a bunch of jobs that have been about getting people into a room and building their capacity to think differently differently about a particular equity or justice issue, and then getting them to collectively make a decision together. So that was split between LGBT rights, organizing, fundraising, and grant making, and then in the mainstream world of foundations, where I worked at a a trade association, where I um, actually met Sam, or re-met Sam, or (laughs) one of the places our (laughs) paths crossed. Um, Sam was a member of that association. And so that's where Trina and I met. Um, you know, Trina was doing all that issue work and campaign work and I was doing all this organizational development work and we started to practice and play together, giving workshops and mm. modeling what it meant to be colleagues and coworkers who weren't the same race and weren't the same gender, but mm. were two queer people who cared about some of the same thing.
0: That's fascinating. I think as the, as the outsider here, the one that is not part of your work, work, um, the work that you're doing seems so crucial and it makes so much sense. And yet we see, we don't see these conversations happening uh, in local communities or on like a national scale. So I commend you both for like creating this, you know, creation is an act of courage and you're definitely creating some amazing spaces and conversations. And as Sam said, I, I see the difference in him since he's been a part of your team. <laughs> also, because he's less stressed out about his other job.
1: Yeah, <laughs> job. That's really nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think what's so interesting, right,
2: is that Alfonso and I both had um, a pretty heavy hand in the policy change side of work, because we know it's really important that laws and policies have our back, right? So, as we all are looking at like garbage abortion bans taking hold of the country, right? Like, we need mm-hmm. laws to be on our side. And What we were discovering is that people are really unsatisfied with their workplace relationships. Mm. So their relationships with their supervisor, their relationship with their colleagues, the relationships across race, gender, class, immigration status. And Alfonso and I um, are realists, but we also have a ton of hope because we're living proof that you can build a mixed team on purpose and it can be so much fun and so effective. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so for us, you know, thinking about being on y'all's podcast and thinking about being in real and right relationship, thinking about consent and choices for us, it does feel like what we're doing all day, every day is helping people live their values in their relationships. And for us, our sandbox is work because so many of us as adults, spend a lot of time there.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. It just makes so much sense. I mean, it's the same thing. A lot of times, like, so you know that Sam and I get letters from listeners all over the world. And a lot of times the the letters, Sam and I look at each other and they sit and we think um, there's just this, there's this communication lapse happening or like, they're just not, they're unable to connect in one way or another. Um, And it's so obvious that that relationship dynamic exists in other spheres outside of interpersonal relationships or romantic relationships or family of course it's going to exist in work of course it's going to exist in power dynamics um so i just i love the work that you two do um and i'm so i feel privileged to learn more about it or get like an inside peek into it And also congratulations on the publication of your brand new book, Hiring Revolution. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about this book? Um, Obviously we want our listeners to go out and find it. And um, so tell us a little bit about the book, but also how best do you see people finding it and utilizing it?
2: Yeah, we are super excited. It is available wherever you get books and you can find it at hiringrevolutionbook.com. We also did our own tricks, meaning we learned from professional narrators and it's also available on audible. So if you're looking for friends to go on a walk with you, we're happy to be in your ears and talk to you about (laughs) racism and sexism (laughs) and hiring. Um, so, Alfonso and I, for our age, have done an odd amount of hiring. And in part because mm-hmm. he was building a fellowship, we've worked with hundreds and thousands of volunteers. I've worked on campaigns that had to scale up really quickly. So, um, we have a lot of practice, and we're able to really notice firsthand how what has been deemed, quote unquote, traditional best practices for hiring it's just screwing everybody over (laughs) workers workplaces it's bad and it can be better and so we started writing the book in 2019 because we were tired of inefficiently answering separate questions Mm. (laughs) we were like oh this really keeps coming, right? And then as y'all know, all hell broke loose in a couple different directions in 2020. So with the murder of George Floyd uh, at the hands of police here in Minneapolis, uh, the COVID-19 virus and variant, and then the enormous economic and workforce upheaval. Um, So we're feeling really like we created a guide, a workbook, a path, a map that if folks choose to, you know, walk their talk and live their values, they can fundamentally shift what happens in their hiring process away from super racist and super sexist hiring norms. Mm. Alfonso, do you want to say our dream for how people would use it? Like for real, for real.
3: (laughs) Yeah. So there's this thing about business books or management books where we tend to kind of pick and choose the parts that we like, uh, the book doesn't work if you just pick the parts that you like on purpose, Mm. there's going to be hard parts that you don't like. And it's (laughs) written in an order because you're supposed to do the things that are in the book in the order that they happen. So if you're just like, I don't need to do that. You won't achieve the goals that you set out to achieve. So it's our absolute truth of how we have built a team that is majority people of color over half queer more than half women, right? And so the dream is that anybody who has any responsibility in in a hiring process will use this as their playbook for how to do hiring moving forward. And I think part of what we tried to do was make the impossible feel possible. I think Mm -hmm. folks get, we often talk about folks get captured in the enormity of injustice. So like racism is so big, sexism is so big. Like The societal issues we're facing are so big. Pay gaps or hiring disparities are are societal and they're bigger than I am. And we forget that if you're the person who writes the interview questions, you have an influence over how Mm -hmm. the process goes. Mm -hmm. If you're the person that writes the job description, you have an influence on how the process goes. If you're the person who decides how many phone screens, interviews, and in what order you influence how the process goes. So it, it helps anybody who touches the hiring process take responsibility and stop just saying, like, the problem is really big.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love it when you talk about that idea of, like, um, of the work that we're trying to do being really countercultural and that sort of the the limitations of the system as it works Um, don't have to be there, right? Like you can, we can make different decisions in our everyday work around how we want to do things differently, even if we have people telling us that the best practices or like, quote unquote, legally, even though like, it's not actually legally binding, right, which we come up against a lot. Um, But it requires like an active imagination, right? Like a a willingness to see things outside of sort of the way that we've been told. Um, And that, actually really inspires me because I love the idea of like us returning to childhood and like being imaginative and what the world could look like and how we could be doing different things differently. So I love, I love hearing y'all talk about it um, in a way that really inspires us to think differently and think outside of the ways that we're currently doing stuff.
2: Mm, yeah, we've got some time left in both of our work lives. So we, we plan on a lot changing while we're still around <laughs> so we're going to do everything <laughs> we can to push as hard as we can um so that we can create a new standard because i think you're totally right this is just about reimagining what um relationship looks like and it mm. we think relationship in workplaces is so interesting because it's with colleagues it's with grown-ups you are likely not in the same house. You are likely not having sex with each other. So the idea (laughs) of what you need to navigate is maybe lower or different stakes, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a great place to practice um, better relationships um, that then you can spin out into the other parts of your life.
1: Yeah, for sure which is actually just like a really great segue into the next question that we're going to ask y'all, which is really thinking about sort of, you know, we talk about, and in the work at Team Dynamics, we talk about intercultural capacity in the workplace, which is really about sort of developing your knowledge of yourself and your own patterns and your own preferences and behaviors. And then also thinking about, huh, what do other people like? What are other people up to? And finding a way to sort of bridge that. Um, And it's very sort of like one-on-one um, or it could be small groups of people doing this work together. Um, but thinking about sort of like the big issues of systems of oppression, like racism and um, homo and transphobia and um, ableism and misogyny, right? It can often feel like those relationship pieces aren't as important because like there's still this big thing that's like really awful and so unmanageable. So I'm curious how you two see relationships as part of the work of dismantling some of those big systems?
3: Yeah. So racism, white supremacy, misogyny, sexism are forces of disconnection. So they mm-hmm. force wow. us to understand ourselves as separate from each other and have a structure that says some of us are better and some of us are worse. Some mm-hmm. of us are more deserving and some of us are less deserving. And so to disrupt those forces, we have to understand that our, we have to understand that when there is violence, discrimination, oppression, um, economic disadvantage, that actually makes everyone's life worse. Mm. And that no shit in our current economy, we get really tricked into believing that if someone has more, then I'm going to have less rather than thinking mm. abundantly mm-hmm. about the fact that, well, what if everyone had enough? What if we mm. had enough health? What if we had enough safety? What if we had enough food? What if we had enough um, time and space to be as creative and loving as joyful and joyful as we needed to be? And I think the only way we do that is by building relationships where we practice at a really micro level. And mm. in her book Emergent Strategy, Adrienne Marie Brown talks about, She's this quote, and I'm going to get it kind of wrong, but she says, sometimes what's happening in the world is so bad that we forget to practice co-evolution through relationship. But in fact, that's the most powerful work. And so that really guides me because I think if Trina and I as co-authors, if Trina and I as podcast hosts together, if Trina and I as business partners don't know how to tell each other about about how we miss each other or bump into each other or trip each other up or feel like one is making the other one feel small, if we can't do that in our one-to-one relationship, if I can't say the thing you just said really feels like it's reinforcing white dominance. Or if Trina can't say, the thing you just did was super sexist. And for us to say, and our relationship still matters, that like when we do that, it's not about putting our relationship on the line, but saying, because I care and I want to stay close and get closer. Um, If we can't do that at the small, like how do we expect to say, for example, start paying women what they're worth on a national level? stop under hiring black people. Right. So I have to be able to like stay in relationship with Trina while hearing that something I just did was particularly painful.
0: Hmm. Hmm. That's actually like a perfect segue into the next question again. So great job, both of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: <accidental,
0: I> <laughs> Um so, so this is slightly off topic, but not at all. So co-owning a business with your best friend, something <laughs> I know nothing and everything about. <laughs> um, can you tell me a little about your experience with that? Um, Alfonso, you set it up so well, just saying that like, you know, we when we think about work, we don't always think about this intimate relationship and friendships complicate that as well, uh, you know, in the world of business. so. Yeah, it's a beast and
2: beautiful,
0: <laughs> I'm gonna say. So I hope that
2: feels yeah, okay, yes. my friend. I love it. I love it. Um, I would say because we uh, started a practice really early on when we shifted from being sort of acquaintances to friends, friends to like co-trainers, co-trainers to co-business owners, right? There mm. were there were multiple sort of graduations in our relationship. Um, and we really talked upfront about what those shifts were going to mean, right? And we talked a lot about not needing to pit our friendship and our work relationship against each other, mm. um, but instead we actually have a lot of shorthand. So when we text or call, we start by saying this is a friend thing or this is yeah. a work thing, yeah, <laughs> so that we know like what headspace to For get sure. in, right? Yep. Um, we share a lot of bank accounts, so we have to have very oh intimate conversations about <laughs> money. <laughs>
0: Um, And
2: Alfonso and I have different class experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And part of why I was ready to go into business was I got really pissed off that men I love who are younger than me were starting to get paid more than me. Mm -hmm. So I'm Mm -hmm. like itchy and feisty about money in a particular way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we have to figure out ways to talk about how are we going to process without doing gossip? How are we going to clean up so that we're not living in resentment? And how much do we like to play together in order to sort of like nourish or fill into our relationship? So, part of a practice we started early that we didn't know if it was going to be meaningful at all was we go on a quarterly retreat, just him and me. And we, you know, at the beginning, we're like, maybe that's a waste of time and money because, like, we could just go to your apartment or my house. Like what the (laughs) hell is the difference of like where we are? It's still just the two of us. But the truth is when we are like out riding lifts and we've gone to a concert and we've spent time at like a comedy show. And then we're like eating some amazing Southern barbecue or something. We're just like, Ooh, I feel better. Do you feel better? (laughs) We just had a whole day talking about the budget, but like the barbecue sauce is delicious. So we also do like new memory making so that not everything is loaded. And I think we've gotten better at doing our conflict and cleanup where I get less like hyperventilating before. But I don't know how you're feeling, my friend.
3: <laughs> <laughs> There's many angles I could come at this from that I think sure. part of why the practices were so important before they were patterns is we weren't this close when we started. Mm, we maybe. had more work stuff together than we did life stuff together. And so it hasn't been about like manufacturing a friendship or manufacturing a family, but for both of us, most of our closest friends are people we've only ever worked with. So
1: Mm
3: -hmm. it was this kind of natural evolution of like, well, we find our people through work, not because we're workaholics or we think like work is the only meaningful thing. But I think when you when you've had a career in justice making, it's a little bit different than, um, maybe for some people who like have their job and then their activism is like an extracurricular, right? Like I've been blessed enough to have almost my whole career be paid activism, which I know is something that not a lot of people get to do. And Mm -hmm. so for us, it was like, if we want to teach people about how to do work differently, um, we have to start from the beginning, a work relationship that is drastically different than any work relationship we've ever had. And for sure, it has to be fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, to think about um, friendships that turn into business partnerships too, because like in some ways, like Trina said, it like there's shortcuts. So it's like, well, we, we're friends. So I know that you like have my best interest at mm-hmm. heart because like we've, we've established that we like trust each other and that we love each other and like that we're looking out for each other. And it can also be fraught too, because it's like, well, if we disagree on this business thing, does that mean that the friendship is going to mm-hmm. suffer? Like, it's like, it's both a, a blessing and a curse to be in such close relationship with a business partner. But I love the idea of like taking the time to cultivate it, to cultivate both sides of it and say like, yep, we're going to work on business and we're going to make sure that we're still friends at the same time. Yeah. Because that's, both of those relationships are equally important and like hopelessly intertwined now. (laughs) Like they have, both have (laughs) to be good
3: for like anything to work for us. We don't just will it into existence either. It's like, we have to remind ourselves, we have to be like, okay, the thing we do at our retreats is what in what order? Okay. We're not going to start working until we really check in. And we ask this question, how are you? How am I? And how are we? And like, sometimes mm-hmm. that takes half a day, right? We have <laughs> therapists, we have coaches, we have chiropractors, we have, you know, people who do body work <laughs> for us So like,
2: yeah, me all the practitioners, every yeah, single yeah, like, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say too, right. That um, we take breaks from each other. Um, mm. So there are times when we have invited each other to participate in something, or we have some sort of shared friends or community doing something. And what I appreciate when we take breaks is it doesn't feel scary. Like when somebody you're dating just stops texting you and you're like, right. what the fuck just happened? Yeah. <laughs> and he's, he's so mad or I said it wrong. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so <laughs> stressful. But there are times when it's just like, yeah, this is really hard. Um, and it's not that I am mad at you and need to cool off. It's just like, work is hard right now. Like, give me a minute. Right. And Mm. there are times when that means we really do want to play together where it's like, screw it. Like, let's go walk around the lake or let's go to a concert or let's go have a beer or something. And then there are times when it's like, Hey, I hope you have a good weekend. I hope you have a good weekend. We'll catch you again next (laughs) week. So it is also like, Yeah. yeah, we don't, we don't need to do a meshment to be close. Um, but I do think there's times in which, um, Both Alfonso and I have talked about how our previous dating and romantic lives can work their ways into expectations Mm. or what things are Mm -hmm. supposed to mean. And especially for like men and women who are adults, right? There's a lot of gendered expectations about how Mm. we're even supposed to be in relationship to each other, regardless of the fact that we're queer, including the fact that we're six years apart. Um, when Alfonso and I, we were thinking about getting ready for this podcast. And it's funny that when Alfonso and I first met, I was married and he was single. And now I'm single and he's <laughs> in a, a committed relationship, right? Uh-huh. And so also a lot in our life has shifted while we've been building our own work relationship.
3: Yeah. Well, sure. and as you were talking about that, it made me think about um the ways in which people treat pairs or sets of people. So mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. um where, how we fill up and, and like what we choose to participate in is really different. And so for a bunch of years, we thought like, oh, Team Dynamics sponsored this event, or someone from our company should show up. So like we would both go. And one, we were like, well, what if we're not both in the mood or whatever? So And then like, I'm probably more likely to, on any given weeknight, be the one who's like, actually, what sounds fun is going to a community event, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I do that. And then there's other stuff that Trina does that like I'm like, oh, I couldn't do that on any given day, but she could, right? And mm-hmm. so there's this interesting expectation that I think is specific to um, a man woman like duo, where there there is a, a lot of even among friends, like, oh, where's Trina? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. Like <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm a grown-ass woman. I got shit to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and when you don't sweep, even our parents will ask. They'll be like, so where's Alfonso? I go... He's doing other shit today. I don't
1: know. <laughs> We're not married. I don't. Why is oh this happening? God. <laughs> I probably
0: We're play running, into yeah. that too much. I like send Sam's mother cards. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, like I sure. get her to ask about me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. My no, mom gives totally sexual males. So. It's like
3: whatever. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I
2: mean, that, that's exactly right. But it is it is interesting out in the wild that all of this imprinting about duos or pairs or friendships or work relationships or men and women in midlife or just like whatever the expectations people have we've realized like oh my gosh it's wild how many assumptions people make about us together
0: before they know us mm. and how he and I actually are together mm-hmm. yeah totally no what absolutely the assumptions are about us Sam from
1: our- well, we've had like meetings with potential sponsors who they meet us and then they're like, oh, cool. So you're like a married couple who gives people relationship advice. And we're like, well, we're both married, but definitely <laughs> not to each other. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we always say when we take when we take photos for the business, we have to tell the photographer, like, make sure this doesn't accidentally read as like an engagement shoot. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <crap>. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I
2: think what feels really fun, right, as queer people is we get really sad for folks culturally who always split up by gender in their mm. adult friendships,
0: mm-hmm. right?
2: And that I'm not just going to say all straight people, because that's absolutely not true. It's For cultural sure. communities, religious communities. But one of the things I love is that my friendship circle is super mixed across gender identity and expression. But um, the world has trouble knowing what to make of us, any of us across gender. So I am sure there's a lot of experiences that the two of you have as well as, as co-hosts and, and as friends.
1: Yeah, for sure. Whenever anyone assumes I'm straight, it's just like, it's so wild to me. It's like, I cannot believe that you looked at me and were like, yeah, straight man, for sure. Cause like in my head, I'm just like assuming that I'm walking through the world in one way, but people, people
0: still assume
1: Cool. Well, let's talk a little bit about dating because we are a relationship advice podcast and we do mostly talk to folks who are talking to us about romantic relationships. So um, we have a lot of folks that write into us um, who are dating or who are looking to date and who are also really conscious of social justice issues, especially in the course of the last two years since the murder of George Floyd. So... It can be like a hard sort of line to tread around how do you sort of enact your values around um, racial justice or gender justice and doing it in a way that is not performative, but that is actually sort of internalizing the things that's happening. So I'm curious how you all would uh, approach giving advice to folks about what they should be thinking about or working on as they're trying to date within their values around social justice issues.
2: Alfonso, do you want to talk about the man side of men-on-men dating relationships (laughs) app world? Because we're really clear, right? In the algorithms, if anybody's doing online dating, we all have a very different internet.
1: Oh, for sure. In in terms
2: of what the apps are doing, the algorithms are feeding us what the norms and the patterns are and aren't. Mm -hmm. So, like, in the world of dating apps where folks can say things like no fats or no femmes," right? And other things that people will indicate, right? I would say on the lady side of dating, there's a lot of body stuff that gets hidden. Um, Folks now just say athletic. I'm looking for somebody Mm. athletic as a way to say skinny, Mm
0: -hmm. which also has-
2: Absolutely. Totally. Hmm. Has has race implications about ideal body types or about what would be attractive or not attractive. But Alfonso, what would you say from your corner of your side of the Internet that comes to your phone?
3: <laughs> Trash. Uh, but actually, I was going to ask if you I was going to ask if you would go first, because I think you have a cool couple of stories you tell about having been a person who's been on your own journey. Uh, around whiteness and then sort of realizing some assumptions you were making being somebody who was like regularly dating um, women of color and uh, genderqueer folks of color.
2: Yeah, uh, I can try for sure. (laughs) So um, I'm somebody that has been uh, actively dating or like romantically inclined since I was probably 15. I think I had my first boyfriend in eighth grade Um, and then I was married for a good chunk of years. Uh, and now I'm single. So I'm dating as a grownup, um, as a CEO, as a like boss lady. Uh, and it's different for sure than it was to sort of date in my early 20s. And I think, as you were talking, Sam, about the performative piece, I think as folks are trying to suss out the complexity and the alchemy of desire, attraction, compatibility curiosity, genuine interest, or just feeling sort of like a draw towards somebody or something, I would really want white people to be careful or conscious, probably both, about um, in the same way that some folks are running out because they want to have a Black friend or an Asian Pacific Islander (laughs) friend or a Mm -hmm. Middle East North African friend. (laughs) Alphonse was just breathing. Um, (laughs) To make sure that you're not headed towards a relationship that's about voyeurism or extraction or just wanting to sort of sidekick a culture that is not yours, Mm. right? And I don't think folks fully think through when they really, really are saying I'm open to dating all races or like whatever works for me in the same way that folks are like whatever pronoun works for me, we know people for whom that's true and we know people for whom they haven't thought it through when they're saying that and it's not true. (laughs) Right, Mm -hmm. There is something that sort of feels better or worse. And so I think there's a lot of self-awareness work to do um, as you think about imagining a future or just even imagining experiences with bodies that are similar or different to yours as you're thinking about, for example, where to go on a romantic vacation that would or wouldn't feel safe for Mm -hmm. certain people. Right. So inside the U.S. and outside the U.S. and not making assumptions. Right. Also having um, really thinking about things, even like I swear to God, education requirements in dating. Like you see Mm -hmm. that a lot of like Mm -hmm. putting your highest degree Um, as you are thinking about all of these filters (laughs) in dating or all of these deal breakers it does feel a lot like the way we approach hiring, right? And what assumptions we're making. And so from a class background perspective, um, from a tradition or ethnicity perspective, and I do think it's complex, the number of times that I have also heard recently that there are folks who have heard about me or learned about me or have been introduced by a friend and are really excited that are women of color that feel um, really ready to say right now, I'm not interested in dating white women right now. Mm. And that being okay Mm -hmm. and it not be about me sort of pushing through that no or saying, but like, I'm special or I'm woke or I'm cool or I'm good, right? (laughs) That there is a lot of energy in really respecting wherever somebody's at right now. And I also think, you know, I, um, it is always sort of a journey around programming and who I've ever been taught are attractive, Mm. right. Around gender identity expression, um, who I think I would feel close to whose families I think would go together. And so I think race, ethnicity, religious tradition is super at the center for me of what I think about when dating, when in fact, most of the apps I look at want to talk about height and kids. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, yeah. like, it's just yeah. interesting yeah. what people are centering and not centering when you think about like, no, no daily life with another person for any of us that are looking for a, for a serious relationship right now. So I think it's, it's something that I've noticed sort of a shift in recently. And as a grown ass person dating, it's really fascinating to see who's ready for those conversations.
3: Hmm. Oh, boy, internet is um, <laughs> atrocious. It's disgusting. Yeah. Wild and wonderful. Wild, wild and question. wonderful. That's wild and wonderful. No, uh-huh. I, I can't say that. Like, so I'm aware of, and I have seen play out, like some of the no fats, no femmes bullshit. Mm-hmm. I have watched um, dark skinned men of color like get fewer like likes or responses. I have seen coded language in profiles. I can't say that I can recall with specificity like individual events of someone pushing me away because of my Latinx identity. However, I have been in a lot of therapy for the last four years, and my whole dating profile kind of read, like, fuck you and go away for a long time. <laughs> so, uh,
2: <laughs> deep, 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 understandably deep well learned, <laughs> my friend.
3: Oh, absolutely. hundred no, percent. Yep. <laughs> no, one, no one had a chance to be racist to me because they were all oh, just like, get out of his fucking thing. Like, don't have <laughs> that. Right. Like, uh, <laughs> and the truth is for me, I think doing my work in public has meant that I've actually met a lot of people who got to hear me talk about race and gender, um, before we went on our first date. And so Mm -hmm. I was thinking about these like buckets or categories of, um, guys that I've dated. So there's two kinds of white guy that I've dated in the one kind of white guy is like good liberal who actually is like really fucking racist all the time. Um, (laughs) because they think Uh like they can complain about, uh, like the ways in which they think they're being oppressed to me. And I'd always be like, that's not cool. And then I'd be like, why am I crying? And I'm like, he's being racist. But like, that took me a while. Sure, sure, sure. And then the there four was, years of therapy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then there was like white guy who wants me to co-sign on his activism. Like, it's cool mm. that I like dress this way and talk this way and participate in this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I just think you're like supposed to, because it's, you know, whatever decade we're in. It's, right, the, least right. it's the least you can do. It's the least you can do, right? I think there's this particular flavor, too, in gay man dating where, like, racism and internalized misogyny are doing this interesting dance, too, because uh, cis gay white men are still, by and large, in the workplace, used to being men in the workplace. So they're used to, in a lot of the locations they're moving through, getting what they want. hmm and getting it the way they want it and when they want it and how they want it. And there is a pervasive thing, I would say, in my experience in Minneapolis among affluent white gay men. I'm just going to get trolled for this. Among affluent (laughs) white gay men uh, that is about, like, superseding their queerness. That is about, like, the only thing that makes me different is my queerness. And so, like, it's primarily about, like, incorporating into society and like really wanting to be seen as like regular or normal. So like, that's the kind of person I've dated where I'm like, there's nothing regular or normal about me. Like <laughs> I say queer mm. for a particular reason. I feel, ab. I feel against the norm. Right. Mm.
1: Mm.
3: There's this, there's been this piece where I've like dated within my own ethnicity or racial identity um, across race with other men of color where we've either done trauma bonding where we're like, look at how oppressed we've been. This is hot, right? Those are very brief. (laughs) Or there's Uh just a like, we're, we're above it. We've survived. So we're hardly acknowledging the fact that we are two men of color who have in a predominantly white community found each other. Um, And then there's my current relationship, uh, which is beautiful (laughs) and wonderful. And, you know, part of my attraction to him was about the fact that he's, researching identity development among multiracial men. So like, I oh. was like, okay, keep talking. Yeah. Um, so <laughs>
2: uh, there's something about for Tell me, me like
3: for me right now, I need to be in a relationship where I'm not teaching. Cause I mm. teach people about race all day. That isn't mm-hmm. to say me and my boyfriend have all the same skill sets or like pedagogy or like tools and frameworks, but there's an ease with which. Like we can flow and I don't feel like I need to vent or talk about or make sense of an experience. But first I have to teach you about like the next seven words I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's all really real. Um, and thanks for those examples. And I, I'm thinking about, um, sort of that piece around self-awareness too, as, as folks are entering into the work or into the, the dating pool as well of thinking like, where did I learn these patterns around how people, I'm expecting people to behave? Or like, where did I learn these patterns around attraction? Like who who decided that I'm attracted to this type of person and not this type of person? Have I ever like actually interrogated that or did I just inherit that from somebody else, right? Like, and that's a piece that I think that we often miss when we're trying to do this type of of social justice work is like, we tend to move, especially as white folks tend to move external and say like, okay, well, tell me more about other people. Tell me more about other people's experiences so that I can understand them instead of being like, what are my experiences? (laughs) Where did I learn these things? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Who taught them to me? Um, And I think that that can be something that can be really beneficial for you as you're like entering into into dating as a white person, particularly around like, what what are the patterns that I have and how are they playing out for me? Because that self-awareness often doesn't happen. So... Uh, Last question is actually for you, Trina, before we move into the final three questions that are the same for everyone. Um, So I know that you um, are dating and one of the things that I love about you that you did was you created a PowerPoint presentation about you and recorded yourself like going through it and talking about your values and your experiences and what you're looking for and where you've been um, and then sent it out to all of your friends and said, hey, do you know people who would like fit the bill that you think I should meet? Can you, can you show them this PowerPoint and like send them my way?
3: (laughs) It was amazing. It was was amazing. I was like, everyone should have one of these.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I like, I got it in my inbox and I literally just like squealed with joy because I loved it so much. It was like so much fun. Um, and I was just curious, like what brought you to do that? And like, how has that been going for you?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So because I come out of community organizing and because I've met everybody I've ever fallen in love with through somebody or something else, right? So it's like, because I got married um, young enough that it was really kind of uh, pre-internet dating, like that has been Mm. new for me. And so the world of like referrals just feels like (laughs) how I've met people, right? Sometimes it's people's friends sometimes it's people's colleagues sometimes you meet somebody at a conference right but it's like been in the wild and i quickly came to understand that the same people by and large are on all the apps so it's the idea of like okay great if you're active and looking you're trying to signal that you're active and looking Mm -hmm. in different places Mm -hmm. and i think for me i was feeling limited about my ability to sort of put my best Mm -hmm. foot forward And not to show off, but to be really real, because I am in a place of like, I love my life so much that I'm just really dreaming about a romantic relationship that feels additive. Mm. Wow. Right. And like, beautiful, right? And I think for me, um, I spent a long time like idolizing romantic relationships. And so I think for me to have this period of singleness has been really valuable. So I thought... um, When you're looking for a girlfriend, it's like a really particular thing, right? So, one of the things Alfonso knows is that I have really bad eyesight. So, I wear contacts and glasses. And I was like, well, whoever's sort of signing up to be my girlfriend, I'm going to see really (laughs) up close (laughs) because in the morning, I can't see you unless you're really Mm. up close, right? So, when I think about like, oh, faces, right? And I think about faces that give me sort of the butterflies or whatever. When I think about, how somebody likes to spend their time and what like turns them on from a like life perspective right what sounds cool and interesting to them so i put together this powerpoint i felt like dorky when i was (laughs) doing it i found photos of me when i was little photos from like life that i think paint a fair picture of who Mm -hmm. i really am and um It felt really scary to decide who I was going to send it to. I think I picked 54 human beings all Mm. over the country. And I just like bit the bullet. I probably like took a drink and then (laughs) clicked send. Um, Because I think part of what is my responsibility in dating is making sure folks who don't think about dating as much because they're partnered... Have their goddamn (laughs) eyes peeled for other people. That's real. That's real. It's like, (laughs) you know, if you're not paying attention. So once I threatened to go to one of our friends, Christmas parties in my sweatpants, because I was like, you said 120 people are going to be there. If another queer single woman isn't there, I swear to God. (laughs) I'm wearing <laughs> yoga pants and like my hair in a messy bun. Oh like, God, wait. Fuck you. We were in front of 120 people.
3: We were somewhere once. We were somewhere once and we went in and I was like, it's a room full of cool And I was like, you stay in the kitchen. And I went in and I was talking and I turned around and I go, we're leaving. We're leaving right now. They're all in couples. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a great friend. That is a great no, that's friend. Amazing. Right there. That's yeah,
3: amazing. That's amazing. I was like, we've done. We've thanked yeah, everyone. Good night. A, we've gone. We've left. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of way, man. Exactly. We also went to a bar one night with a friend who was a queer woman, and she was partnered at the time. And so we go, okay, do a lap because I sort of clocked that the only w- single women there were straight friends yeah. of gay people. I was like, yeah, yeah, there are women here. It's not right, and it's not about making huge assumptions. But she did one lap of the whole bar, and I was like, yep, you're right. <laughs> let's go. And I go Hope you know. <laughs> because it's a really vulnerable thing to put for energy sure, yeah. out there, right? And so to your question Sam of how is it going? I'm going to say okay. medium. So your listeners are welcome to help <laughs> in any way they see fit. Um but I do think uh flagging for people in your life that really know you and can speak about you. I've had a bunch of friends ask some follow-up questions yeah. that are really interesting, right? Of like you know, what about somebody who has two kids or what about somebody who lives in California or, Hey, you know, there's somebody I know who who's at the tail end of a breakup. So I don't think they're ready, but like, I actually think I want to introduce you. So I do think in that way, it's like doing what you can, even if it feels really scary to say, I get it. I'm supposed to be like a a spinster or something by this age, Mm -hmm. if I'm single. And I'm like, no, no, I feel like I've got the best to offer that mm-hmm. I've ever had. Um, so to ask friends to help feels scary and vulnerable. I also get really curious about what they assume all like, cause I didn't say much about like, here's my type, sure. right? That's, that was not what was in there. Um, so I'm very hopeful that there will still be, um, some, some meetings and some greetings because of it, but. Um, Sierra, thank you for being supportive of it. It makes me feel less. Oh, I, about I'm it.
0: obsessed. I, Sam shared it anonymously. I don't know if it was like on a Patreon episode or a primary episode. And I think I speak for our entire Just Break Up community when we set when we <laughs> applaud you. Well, yeah. and I, I love it. A hundred percent of the the negative feedback we get about online dating is because the culture of online dating is so disconnected from the intent, you know, or that everybody Mm -hmm. gets on there and they want to be the cool person. They want to be like the chill Mm, vibes and they don't want to say, you know, we get so many questions (laughs) like, do I put, um, how do I put what I want in my dating profile? Like without coming off too strong. And it's like, well, why are you online dating right now? I mean, we could online date for a hundred reasons, hookups, connections, partnerships, friends. But um, I think that I love, the two things I love most about the PowerPoint are the intention behind it. It's like so mm. vulnerable and also honest. And also uh, the community connection. I would never in my, mm. in mm. at the times in my life in which I've been single, I don't think I've ever asked for, my community support and mm. who knows me better than mm. Sam and who knows mm-hmm. me? Like, I th- I don't think we think about coupling in that way either. We don't think about it. We over romanticize it, as you say, as something that should just like happen organically um, or something. I don't know. Right. It's going to be like magic and yeah. separate
2: and you're like, or <laughs> less magic. And, yeah, yeah, right? connected. <laughs> and you don't Maybe. know who your friends no. I know. I,
0: I, I just think, Uh, A plus from me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Um, Okay. So uh, last three questions are questions that we ask all of our wonderful guests. Um, And the first one is we like to reflect a lot on our podcast about like the preconceived notions we've had about dating, intimacy, connection, um, or, or the, I don't know, toxic education we got about all of those things as children from family or pop culture or whatnot, what is a piece of relationship advice that you used to believe that you no longer believe or subscribe to or or you outgrew or you were like, this is now toxic garbage, you know, whatever.
1: love it. Trina's hand just shot up in the air like Hermione Granger. And She's like, so big me. Mouth,
0: mouth is open in awe. So you guys are both excited by this. <laughs> <laughs> Alfonso, you go first. You go first.
3: Okay. Um, I'm so sorry to my family. Um, There's a person in my family who said, who they say, like, oh, I have these 10 rules, but the number one rule in my relationships is you're here because you want to be, not because I want you to be, like saying it to the person Mm -hmm. you're with. Mm -hmm. And I used to be like, that's the best. Like, whatever, (laughs) you're here. Like, what? You can come or go. And I'm like, oh, fuck. That's like really. Awful. Um, I used to say it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? I used to like think it all the time. I used to just think like, well, someone's gonna be with me and near me if they want to be. Like, and, like that's just so. Again, I had the whole "fuck you" dating profile and was like, why yeah, am I single? Yeah, no,
0: that makes sense. Um,
3: <laughs> so definitely, it had that like, um, get away from me. How dare you? But I would like to be, you know, in a relationship kind of vibe. For sure. For sure. I love that. <laughs>
2: I love family truisms that aren't true. Um, Okay, this is a great question. I love that you ask everybody this so your listeners can just like deconstruct all of this shit out of their brains and bodies and nervous system. (laughs) I think for me, um, there was a piece of advice that was implicit and not explicit. So I don't ever remember being like sat down and told this, but it sure as shit was a vibe that was Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Which was the goal of romantic relationship is time served right (laughs) yeah right it's about like length Mm -hmm. of time for sure and tenure or right so whether it's like you know 50th anniversary parties or it's people even like introducing themselves with number of years or i would say when i first got divorced the number one question i got was how long were Mm -hmm. you together, and i was like what i'm i can say a number (laughs) to you but like What do you think that'll mean when I do, you know what I mean? So I do think there's something, I swear to God, I think it was Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt that were like, how dare anybody say this was an unsuccessful Mm -hmm. marriage. We were together for 10 years and now we're not. Right. So I think for me as somebody who's now in midlife and is really excited about adult partnership, it isn't about like, can we graduate to like this number of years together? I was like, why are we doing quantity Mm. over quality? That's mm-hmm. yeah. fascinating. So I think for me, um, I've been around long-term relationships that are super healthy and I've been really up close to long-term relationships that I would never want to mm-hmm. be a part of, right? So I was like, is the holding on with a tight fist um the goal? And for me, it's yeah. not anymore.
1: No, that's a, real.
0: A, a comparable revelation was very powerful for me as well. Um, mm. and I think we talk a lot about mm. um, that a lot of people get so invested in trying to make the relationship work. Um, try, a metaphor we use from the Affirmation Pod by Josie Ong is like, you're digging for water. You're digging, you're trying to dig this well and you're digging, you're digging, you're digging. You're digging you can't mm-hmm. find the water, but it's too scary to climb out to the surface and start digging again. But, but mm-hmm. if we prioritize mm-hmm. the fertility of the soil, the actual mm-hmm. ground that will give you water over the labor of looking for the water, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. it shifted mm-hmm. everything. I thought it's also because I think, like you, I I was like culturally conditioned to think that long-lasting relationships were the goal and were hierarchically better right. than shorter right. relationships. Yeah. And right. then I, you know, right. I'm 35 now, but I remember at 30 thinking, you know, how the fuck am I gonna be with someone for 50 years? <laughs> like, this this <laughs> yeah. ain't happening for me. No, exactly. right. you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Like, oh my god! And that somehow your relationship
2: will be ranked right. as less exactly. because of it,
1: right? Awesome. All right. So the next question that we ask everyone is um, for a blind date. So at the end of every episode that Sierra and I do together, we have a blind date, which is like when we're trying to set our listeners up with something that we think they're really going to like. So would love to hear from both or either of you um, what, what you would like to set our listeners up with.
2: Okay, so I've been to one of your live podcast recordings, so I feel like I have a sense of your audience because I've, like, sat Uh near them. Um, I think, especially uh, for folks who listen to podcasts while they're driving or doing laundry, I recommend every season of the podcast Seen Mm. on Radio. S C E N E on radio um there is a season number two that's all about whiteness there's a season number three that's all about men and masculinity there's a season number four that's about democracy season number five is really about climate and they are incredible Mm. storytellers um and they often talk about relationships and connection and community and duality and so um yeah, I just uh, listen to all of it constantly <laughs> is my I love it.
3: Alfonso, did you want to do one? Yeah, so mine is, and I don't know how popular it is, but it's a newer to me a podcast from National Public Radio called It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. And it is for mm-hmm. me the perfect mix. It's 30 minutes and it's the perfect mix of political analysis what's hot in the news plus pop culture stuff. Um, So if you Mm -hmm. want just a rundown of like what happened this week, what did Jen Psaki say? What did like what happened on Housewives? Plus like what's the latest (laughs) with COVID? Like it's perfect and it's fun and it's super zippy.
1: Absolutely. I love Love Sam Sanders. He's one of my favorite correspondents on NPR.
0: Okay. Last question. How can uh, people, where can people find you? And how can they best support you,
3: Trina? Where can These people are great find questions. you <laughs> on Twitter? Trina's yeah. on Twitter. Ooh.
0: Oh my God! I'm on Twitter.
2: If you can even believe it. Thanks to our staff member Alexa. She's my accountability <laughs> buddy um, on Twitter. So everything basically online for me is my name, and because there seems to be like a semi-famous Trina Olson photographer, mm. you'll always also get my Got middle it. initial, which which stands for Christine. So um, Trina C. Olson on Twitter, uh, on Instagram, and also Alfonso and I co-host a podcast called Behave, which is entirely about workplace behavior. Um, so you can also get that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Alfonso, your handles.
3: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but don't tweet me because I barely check it. Uh, but at Alfonso Winker on Instagram, I absolutely check that all the time. And then you can tweet us uh, at Behave Podcast or at Team Dynamics LLC. And then also check out the book HiringRevolutionBook.com. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you both so much for being here. This is a great conversation and I just always love getting to hang out with you. So now we got to do it with microphones and with uh, Sierra here as well. So um, I love you both and I love the work that we do together. And I'm just really thankful for your support of this podcast and being able to support you by um, uh, getting you the opportunity to talk about your amazing book that's coming out. So congratulations on that again.
0: Thank you. Thank you. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to stay tuned for more Head & heartwork Work Conversations every two weeks on our primary feed. And you know it, if all else fails,
1: just break up.